Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Jason Rosenbaum. And... Joe Manis. And our special guest this week is... Darlene Green, Comptroller, City of St. Louis. All right. Before we go anywhere else, even before we get into your background, I think we're going to need a brief explanation of what it is that your office does. Well, I am a citywide elected official uh, to the Office of Comptroller, and the Comptroller is the chief uh, financial financial or fiscal officer of the city of St. Louis. I'm charged with making sure to protect the credit of the city, to make sure that the bills of the city are paid, all the bills, pay all the bills, and to protect taxpayer dollars. Do people get you confused a lot with the treasurer's office, with the I'm, office of the treasurer? I am certain that that happens. <laughs> yeah. The treasurer is, of course, the custodian of the city's cash, you know, the money, mm-hmm. and I spend that. How about that? And that's the chief difference. You know, you have to have someone that is going to deposit uh, the monies into the bank and be the shepherd and the custodian of those dollars. And then I'm the record keeper, uh, the bookkeeper, so to speak, of all of the finances of the city. I do the bonding uh, for the city, and I make sure all the bills are paid for the city and protecting the credit of the city. So well, we aren't supposed to send you our angry emails about parking tickets. That absolutely would be the not. That's the treasurer, yes. Now, another major difference, though, is that the city comptroller in the city of St. Louis is among three people who sit on the board of estimate apportionment, which makes most of the decisions, financial and otherwise, right. in the city. So, in effect, the comptroller, in many ways, wields as much power, power as the mayor. Yeah. Yes, and that is a really good um Thing that we in the city of St. Louis has as a as a, a city, there is not a strong mayor city. Right. Those duties are divided among the president of the board of aldermen, comptroller, and the mayor, which gives us a balance of power in the executive branch of government, along with the balance that they have over in the legislative side. So the citizens can always be rest assured that there are three sets of eyes on the uh, in terms of the balance of power on the executive side of things. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into politics. Before I did this show, I read an excellent profile of you that Joe wrote in 2011. Um, Thank you, Joe. Um, Going but, back into the archives here. <laughs> but the, the, the gist of it is that you, before you were an elected official, you were you were kind of within Mayor Freeman Bosley Jr.'s administration. Yes, if I was I'm not on, mistaken. Absolutely, I was in that administration as the budget director for the city of St. Louis, and that gave me an excellent background into what and how the city runs, especially from the funding uh, side of things. And as budget director, I I, I served for uh, two years prior to being appointed to the Office of Comptroller, and I served for 18 months before being elected as Comptroller. Now I've been Comptroller now for 18 years. And one of my strong points has been protecting taxpayer dollars, uh, raising the credit rating of the city from uh, a B category to an A-plus category. And we have a strong A plus. Now you were appointed when Vervis Jones had to step down, correct? Yes, I was. Okay, I yes, mean this that was is in 1995. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Just so they, they, they understand. And, and the mm-hmm. gist of one of, of Joe's article was, I don't think you had any expectations initially of being an elected official. It was That's, kind of a surprise to you. Um, could you get into that a little bit? Well, you know, when you talk about surprises, what you have to know that there was an opportunity there. And I was met with that opportunity with my background experience. And I was ready to step in and take over that role. So that's one of the things I want to, you know, to convey to the listeners that sometimes in life you, you're going along, you've got a great career going for yourself, and you're met with opportunity. And what you have to have with that is oppor- with that opportunity is the preparation. And so I think I was well prepared to step into a role that I never thought in my life that I would ever be an elected official. Oh, my God. But I stepped into that role and, and thank the Lord that I've been there for the last 18 years uh, protecting taxpayers' dollars. Now, you were telling us before we went on the air that you're actually the second longest serving comptroller? It was yes, actually I am. someone longer way back at the turn of the century. Way back uh, in the early 1900s, there's someone that has served over 30 years. And so far, I've been serving for 18. Okay. 12 left. If you <laughs> want to go. get the, if you I'm, get the I'm record. I'm still going. <laughs> one, of the, one of the other things that was mentioned, and not to, not to keep heaping praise on Joe's article, but it, it mentioned that you've been kind of a mentor to many political figures of all stripes throughout your, your career. What sort of advice have you given to some of the people that are just getting into politics and and how do you think that they've learned from your your lengthy tenure as comptroller? Oh, well, thanks for that question. One of the things that I like to convey to those who are just getting into politics is to, number one, is to do the right thing uh, in your position that the uh, citizens have entrusted you with. Do the right thing. Uh, along with that, you know, there's a lot of networking that you, you have to do. But uh, above all of that is to stay true to those who are putting you in that position, those those voters. You know, get out, shake the hands, meet the voters, and to go into uh, asking them, you know, what are your concerns? You know, what's most important to you? And a lot of people will tell you. And so you have to really be true to that if you're going to be elected to the legislature, whether it's on the local level or the state level or the federal level. You have to be true to your constituents and the voters that put you there. Now, in your early uh tenure as comptroller, you did face some contested elections. As I mentioned before the show, you defeated Jim Shrewsbury in 1996. You defeated somebody in 1997. I don't exactly remember who it was. I know you remember you beat Tom Bauer in 2001. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But recently, you haven't faced pretty much any major opposition in your campaigns. In 2013, you won, I guess, your fifth full term without any opposition in the Democratic primary. Are people afraid to, to run against you or something like that? Why is it gotten less competitive well i can i can only say i focus on uh, what's important and what's in the best interest of those who are taxpayers and of course that really really makes a difference when i'm bringing home to each and every taxpayer what they expect of me and that's to make sure that we are protecting the credit of the city we're spending the money wisely uh that you know those are the taxes that the people pay and we're spending that money wisely and we're doing those uh things that we have to do to keep uh the city of St. Louis, a place where investors want to come to invest, you know, in jobs. They want to invest their money for development. And we fill potholes. How about that? <laughs> we now, keep those potholes filled. How do you see your relationship with um, Aldermanic President Reed and Mayor Slay? I know you're not always an automatic vote. 
effort. Absolutely. I can't be an automatic vote, especially when it's not in the best interest of the taxpayers. I don't go the expedient political route when it comes to making decisions uh, on behalf of what's in the best interest of the taxpayers. You know, we've got several examples of that. And uh, For example, you want to put out a couple? Well, we can put out uh, Veolia. I, I know okay. you had mentioned that. Uh, you know, if that was uh, an opportunity to review what that company was going to bring in terms of a contracted uh, contractual services to the city of St. Louis Water Division. And as I continue to review that company, it was not in the best interest of the taxpayers that we would make that uh that uh, uh, contract, a final contract, and so I voted no, along with President Reed, and of course the mayor's vote was different than ours, but that's just uh, an example of where I had to look uh, very focused at what is this uh, company going to deliver, and their de- what they were going to deliver wasn't in the taxpayer's best interest. Now, in the aftermath of that situation, and I think that there was an article in the Post-Dispatch in 2013, the mayor's office, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing here, wanted to essentially have more power, especially over contracts, which is your domain, by the way. I'm not sure if you read that article or have had some thoughts about the mayor wanting to kind of accumulate more power either through charter revisions or or by fiat, but what's kind of your take on that particular situation? Well, my take is that because we are we are very fortunate in the city of St. Louis to have the balance of power over in the executive branch of government, that the taxpayers are the winners. And so when I, any one of the three of us say that they want more power, that means that they're going to take some of that power from the taxpayers. And I think, of course, that's not fair. People who are voters, people who are paying their hard-earned dollars into the city's taxes need to know that they're protected when there's three sets of eyes that are looking out for their interest. It's not just one. Okay, let's look at the the city of Detroit, for example, where there was one mayor, very powerful. Now look at Detroit. So I have to say that while St. Louis, uh, you know, or Philadelphia or New York or any other city's mayor may not take those powers to the extent that Detroit did, but you got to look at, aren't we fortunate in the city of St. Louis to have that balance of power in the executive branch of government? Now, you mentioned that there's a couple initiatives that you've been involved in. Oh, yes. You want to talk about oh, that a yes. little bit? Oh, uh, yes. As Comptroller, uh, we do uh, take time to reach out to those uh uh, taxpayers in need, and I'm partnering partnering with the National Association of Black Accountants to offer free income tax preparation. And as a matter of fact, tomorrow night, which will be Tuesday, uh, February 4th, uh, from 4.30 to 8.30, the uh, tax preparers will be at the William J. Harrison Education Center at 3140 Cass, which is right across the street from Bashan High School, to offer free tax preparation. So I invite uh, those of you who can come by to come and get your taxes done for free. The income, maximum in- income for a family, I believe, is $55,000 where you can get your uh, taxes done for free. Also, we will offer another tax uh, preparation on Wednesday, February 19th from 4.30 to 8.30 as well. We're also partnering with PNC Bank, which will be on site to offer any kind of bank services that those uh, folks would need. In addition, that's one more thing I'd like to say, that in the month of February, in honor of Black History Month and Heart Healthy Month, we are offering a, a, 
uh, blood drive at City Hall, uh, and that will be on Wednesday, February 19th as well, from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. in room 208 City Hall. Well, thank you for, for letting our listeners know about that sure. sort of thing. Now, what do you see as the biggest challenge on a financial level facing the city right now that, that you're dealing with? Well, jobs. Jobs, jobs, and, of course, jobs, bringing more jobs into the city of St. Louis not only helps those working families that need the jobs, but it also helps increase the tax base for uh, the city of St. Louis. Uh, We also, of course, when you talk about increasing the tax base, you want to also look at uh, more home ownership. Uh, You want to look at increasing the population throughout the city of St. Louis. You know, we are a pretty densely populated uh, city, but we could increase that um, and help to um, increase the tax base of the city. You know, more revenue, more services. Is, um, you know, this, this may be a question that comes out of left field, but it is one that kind of falls within your wheelhouse of underbanking, especially in parts of St. Louis, which have a lot more poverty and economic disparity. Well, one of the things that uh, the treasurer of the city mm-hmm. has done uh, in conjunction with the Federal Reserve Bank, which mm-hmm. has this unbanked initiative going, mm-hmm. is to ask each and every uh, city employee to have their paychecks direct deposited, Mm -hmm. which kind of helps you move towards a bank and trusting a bank. It's so much distrust with formal banking among people who live, you know, check, paycheck to paycheck sometimes. But this direct deposit uh, will actually help uh, those uh, who are unbanked have a, uh, a minimal uh, relationship with a, with a bank, at least, and then hopefully turning that uh, relationship into more using of a bank or a credit union or something to increase the creditworthiness of an individual who, in the past, has not trusted a bank. Yeah. Okay. So, so I guess we'll segue into the more political element yeah. of our show. Yes, because aside from being the comptroller... And all these other things, you also are vice chair of the Missouri Democratic Party, and you're in your second term. Yes. So I was interested in your observations uh, as far as going into 2014 and also what you see as your role. Well, my role, I guess, as the vice chair of the party is certainly to support the Democratic activities in the state of Missouri, to help increase awareness about democracy uh, in our state, and to increase uh, voter participation throughout the state of Missouri, Uh, help the fundraising efforts uh, on our behalf, and of course, we want to look at those things that working families are in need of, you know, increasing the minimum wage and looking at what government is, is all about in our uh, state in terms of economic development and all of this things like that. So I know the governor is involved with the disparity study. Uh, The city of St. Louis is involved with the disparity study regarding increasing minority participation on job sites and in developments throughout the state and throughout the city of St. Louis. So I think that's a very, very important part of, of, of what I see that not only Democrats, but others who care about uh, minority uh, uh, participation and, of course, diversity throughout the state. Now, Jason did a really good story about a week or two ago about the fact that the Democrats right now, because the candidate dropped out, 
don't have a Democratic candidate for state auditor. And I don't know if you know this, but I actually listed you yes. as a possibility. Because, I did see that. Because your job seems to segue pretty mm-hmm. nicely with the auditor's office. Well, I've been asked in the past, uh, that was years ago, to consider uh, looking at the auditor's uh, state auditor's office. Uh, I've been asked several times. Uh, my focus has been the, the local uh, office that I hold. And so I've not looked at... Uh, uh, considering a statewide office, but you're right. There's no uh, candidate uh, that uh, we have yet. But of course, uh, we're looking, and we're hopeful that there will be uh, a candidate. And uh, if not for the state auditors' race, but certainly for those that are coming up in 2016. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do you are you looking at any of them yourself, or have you decided that you don't want to run for statewide office? I have decided that I would not want to uh, run for statewide office, but I certainly want to support those good Democrats that do, and I want to make sure that I'm looking and helping the party point out those uh, shining stars that we have coming up that could run uh, statewide. Now, now there's, o- there's only been a few women who've run, although generally successfully, but there hasn't been an African-American who's run statewide in Missouri in 20 years. Any that's, thoughts about that's that? That's right. And we do have some shining stars that are entering the uh, state legislation that uh, there's one young lady who's an attorney. Uh, there are a couple of other young ladies that are in statewide government offices that are attorneys that uh, could possibly one day uh, look at uh, a political office that they may run. So we're keeping an eye out uh, on some of these political uh, uh, folks uh, that are Democrats, that are strong African-American female lawyers and others who may want to run statewide, whether they start at the legislative level as uh, running for uh, the House, or whether they just want to jump right in and run for statewide. Now, after I wrote that article, the St. Louis American took notice of it, and they mentioned all the pros and cons that I attributed to you. And they mentioned that there is an inherent difficulty in a African-American running for statewide office, and that should have been put as a con. Um, in your view, do you think that an African-American statewide candidate would have you know, a harder time getting elected? Or do you think that in the right environment, it could happen? Well, I think absolutely it's very difficult for an African-American to uh, get elected statewide. That has never happened. And so when you look at it for the state of Missouri, you got to know that a first on any anything is going to be something that uh, is going to take some effort. There are uh, ways that an African-American could serve, in fact, if there was an appointment that the governor would have to make in in any case. So that's something that any, whether you're a Republican candidate or Democratic candidate, can look at if you're looking at uh, diversity in terms of someone running statewide as an incumbent. Is there an opportunity for an appointment? So you got to look at something like that. Uh, and then you have uh, you have U.S. Uh, Congress and and Senate seats. Uh, you, we have fortunately African Americans who are U.S. Um, uh, congressmen, yes. yeah. and um, and we have a, a female uh, senator. Not in Missouri, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you yeah, well, 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 yeah, yeah. Reverend Lacey Clay, Clay and yeah. Emmanuel Cleaver. Yeah, Cleaver. yeah right. but I, I meant outside of the urban areas. Yeah. Is there a concern that you've got Clay, you've got Reverend Emmanuel Cleaver, mm-hmm. Congressman from Kansas, Kansas City. City? Aside from Clay and Cleaver, 
there hasn't been any other, I mean, there seems to have been an effort, at least during redistricting, to kind of uh, put a lot of the, not just minority votes, but a lot of the so-called liberal Democratic votes in two districts. Yeah. Any yeah, thoughts they, about that? That's well, what I was getting uh, we at. Lost the, right. We lost the seat. Right. Uh, so that then caused the opportunity for uh, an African-American uh to possibly even be lost, you know, instead of having just a two, could we increase that number to to three? Pop, maybe not. So uh, that also is troubling for a female, whether it's Republican or Democrat, in terms of who we can elect in terms of being diverse in the state of Missouri. You know, what is our opportunity to increase diversity? Is is very nil when we. Uh, or looking at uh, challenges like the loss of, of those seats. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a kind of an inherent bias because I am from Illinois, and we have elected two U.S. senators. We've, we elected statewide senators who are African-American. I think it will happen in the near future that an African-American will win. But I agree that it is there are added challenges to them running, and I think it has to be the right environment for them to win. In 1994 was a terrible year for Democrats, and Joe told me that Alan Wheat had some real inherent issues in that race. Well, you know, it wasn't, I mean, he, he was at that point a congressman from Kansas, Kansas, City. Kansas City area, and he was respected. But the point I was getting at was that I could, did some, covered his race, was that there were some Democratic officials in rural Missouri who publicly said that either they weren't going to vote for him or they knew people in their, um, part of the state who weren't going to vote for him, who were normally Democrats. I was surprised by the public nature of those comments. And that's yeah. what I was um, yeah. getting at before, because you didn't, it just was stunning. Now, that was 20 years ago, and things have changed. But if you look at 2008, when President Barack Obama, at that point, was the Democratic nominee, and this was the huge wave for him. Mm-hmm. And he spent a lot of time in Missouri. And I was working for the Post-Dispatch then, and I traveled with him some. But even he, although it was close, he still lost the state. Yeah, he right. did. He lost the state. He won by about uh, four thousand votes. The urban area, I believe, uh, he won both area, urban areas. I'm not so sure, but I do know he won yeah. uh, yes, he the did. city, but uh, not the state. And you know, while uh, this state uh, became a red state because of that close election, we, we can kind of with the blue and red, it's kind of purple in terms of uh, the possibility of this becoming a blue state in the future. But with the diversity uh, piece, and that's the the focus right now, will this state elect an African-American, whether it be on a national level or will it uh, on on the uh, state level? That's the question. And if if you're saying that the majority of the state will that will say no, then that be, continues to be a challenge. Je- that diversity piece, you know, we continue to elect either a Democrat or a Republican to represent us going to Washington, but we say no when it comes to the color being different than uh, white. Well, do you think that might change a bit, uh, as Jason was pointing out, as, for example, Missouri gets a, the de- more demographically diverse? I don't mean just African-Americans, but... Um, because when you we were talking large, about yeah, yeah, when you were talking about diversity, I mean, I'm sure you want to do, be I have outreach to all sorts of different groups. To, well, that's to, to, what to, diversity to, is all absolutely. about. Yeah, that's his, what it's, it's that's what it's all about. Uh, but the question is, uh, what will Missouri do? 
and what are we willing to do in terms of uh, supporting diversity, you know, black, white, Hispanic, or other. Mm -hmm. uh, there's strong Hispanic groups, there's strong uh, Indian groups, and other diverse groups besides African Americans that have that same question in terms of the challenge that the state of Missouri brings in terms of diversity. But I think that in the end, our hope is that the state will elect the best going to support us in Washington, uh, supporting our views, whether it be a black or white or, or a Hispanic, uh, the best candidate should go. And so the challenge is to get a, the best that right. we have a, in uh, the verse category, uh, uh, African-American or Hispanic. Now, kind of switching gears more generally to sure, your, to your sure. view. Um, 2016 is looking like you, the Democrats have a gubernatorial candidate in Chris Coster. He's been raising a ton of money. He's been giving money to all sorts of places. How confident are you in 2016, not only governor, but all the other races? I'm looking at the uh, races in 2016 that where we have a Democratic uh, candidate that we will uh, be uh, successful. I know that... Uh, Coster has been working hard. Has he talked to you? He had. He, as a matter of fact, I was one of the first, and oh. so uh, I, I have to commend him uh, for uh, you know making sure that he has, has talked to the, the, the you know Democratic Party yeah. uh, as well as several Democrats, not only in outstate but also in the urban areas. And I know he has taken the lead to talk to as many people as he could in the urban areas. And I've also noticed he's actually been actively campaigning for some people that he wasn't always close with. Maria Chappelle Nadal of University City is a great yeah. example of that. They had a terrible relationship in 2008, and now he's headlining a fundraiser for her. So, so she, he seems to be trying to build as many bridges as possible is well, that your view as well? It is not only my view, but it's something that he made a pledge. Because he was such a strong fundraiser that not only would he f fundraise uh, very powerfully for himself, but he would make sure that he would strengthen uh, the coffers of other uh, Democratic candidates along the way. This well, $100,000 pledge. Yeah. Right? Well, mm -hmm. in fact, he well, it's a four hundred thousand right. dollar pledge for over four years, and in fact, he just gave a huge mm -hmm. chunk of money to the state party. If you within the last week or two, yeah, yeah, and this conversation with me, he said it's, it was time for that time to build and and strengthen the Democratic Party uh, financially, and because he had the uh, wherewithal that he was going to take that lead, so that as he goes to. Uh, continue to uh, campaign towards the office of governor, he's going to uh, strengthen the uh, folks that are going to be joining him in the uh, government, in the state government. Might you do that? Well, I'm certainly going to be uh, hopeful that he will help uh, fundraise uh, for me on, on, on my bid uh, for re-election in 2017 because I will be certainly helping Okay, so you're announcing our right governor. now you're going to run for... Absolutely, yeah. Okay. <laughs> because News I think that's right important. Here. 2016 isn't far enough ahead. We have <laughs> to look at 2017. We have to look at 2017. Yeah. Who's going to be there in the city of St. Louis helping out our, our strong governor? Now, what about, um, you know, President Reed is up for election in 2015. Do, yes. he, he's, he's, he is likely to face opposition. 
position, given that he ran against uh, the mayor. Are you going to make any endorsement in that race? Or are you staying as far away from that as possible? I usually stay neutral in those races so that I can be there to help that person that gets in that office uh, to help serve our taxpayer. Yeah, you, I know you stayed you neutral, neutral in the yeah. in the mayoral primary, right? As well. Absolutely, absolutely, because you do still need a person that's ready to to help uh, get whoever's elected ready so that they can hit the ground running to serve. Did yeah. you take any heat for that? Absolutely not. Okay, because I, I was wondering, you know, because within the St. Louis. Democratic Party. There's a lot of factions, and there always has mm-hmm. been. And I was just interested if well, I'm if there to be a resource, and I'm a resource for whomever comes, whoever comes and asks. Because the bottom line is, is that we serve, and I, I never get too far away from that service, uh, serving our taxpayers. And so, you know, there is the politics, but there also is the service. Mm-hmm. And that political person who's running and they're they're they're, they're moving so fast, they have to kind of stay hold up and st- wait a minute. I need to know this and I need to know that. And they're gonna pick up the phone. They're gonna call me, and I'm going to be there to be a resource for the information that they need in order to help serve. Uh, the city of St. Louis taxpayers. So that's something that, yes, I mean, I've sat down with Lewis Reed. I've sat down with the mayor, uh, you know, in the the last few months, and we've talked about how best to serve the city of St. Louis because that's what's important to us uh, above anything else is serving the city of St. Louis taxpayers. All right. Well, we'll close this out here on that note. Uh, You can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org, including Jason's story about the auditor's race. And we'll try to include a link to Joe's story from a couple years ago. (laughs) It was a really really good story, and it gave me a little bit more of your background and how you got into politics. It's a real fascinating story. Okay. It's been a pleasure being here with you guys today. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, to close us out here, you can follow me on Twitter at CS McDaniel. You can follow Jason on Twitter at J Rosenbaum. Joe? At J Manis. That's J M A N N I E S. Do you have a Twitter handle? I do not. I she believe you're. That o- I'm aware of. Your office, <laughs> My office does. Aware. Your office, I think, is STL Comptroller. I, I, but I believe that's your office. That sounds pretty cool. Well, well there we go. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Until then, so long. So Thank long. Thank you.